Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom. This story happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Nothing can be done to change it. The time has come. Caitlin finally read the Revenge of the Sith novelization. With pressure mounting, here's our discussion of the novel as a whole. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, guys. I'm your other host, Caitlin. And yes, you heard that right. We are talking about the Revenge of the Sith novelization today on Sky Talkers. (laughs) And I am freaking out just a little bit. (laughs) It's so funny because Caitlin and I were talking a little bit before this, and she's a little stressed out about it because there really has been like a maybe how long? Like a 12-year-long pressure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to, to read this book. <laughs> and a lot of pressure. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's it's great. I'm really excited to talk about it with you. And I can't believe that you actually read it. And like, this is a really big step. Um, <laughs> but I also feel a lot of pressure too, to talk about this in the best way that we can. Um, just because it's like one of my favorite, if not my favorite Star Wars novelization or Star Wars book. And I want to do it justice, you know? Yeah, I know. It's kind of, it's kind of, I feel about this discussion like I did about our A New Hope discussion when we were doing our machete order. It's like Mm -hmm. there's no way we're going to be able to talk about everything in A New Hope. And there's no way we're going to be able to talk about everything in the Revenge of the Sith novel. And I just have to be okay with that. And it's like so hard because I know that all, well, most of you listening have read this book like 15 times and I've read it once. (laughs) (laughs) But you've seen the movie a hundred jillion times. So it's not like. I have seen the movie a number of times. Mm -hmm. So that helps. (laughs) But yeah. Also, if you're listening and you haven't read the novelization, I I highly suggest it. It's a great book, but you shouldn't be completely lost by our discussion today because you haven't read it. It's okay. You can continue to listen. If you if you've seen Revenge of the Sith, then you know what you know what's coming. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you're good to go. <laughs> That's the weird so, thing about novelizations um, is that you know how things go in the book. <laughs> I know. I know. So before we talk about our opinions and everything, I just kind of wanted to give like a little bit of a history of this book because um, maybe you don't know. So the Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith novelization was written by Matthew Stover and published in April 2005. Whoa, 25. 2018. Yeah. So the fact is, is that this book doesn't really stray too far from the source material of the movie. But it does have a lot of added elements, but also it excludes the Kashyyyk um, part of the the movie and includes all of the deleted scenes. And then just continue, here's a quote from Matthew Stover about kind of the process of writing this novelization. He said, 
Though I did not personally watch him do it, I received from Lucasfilm a Word document of Revenge of the Sith with Mr. Lucas's edits, which was distinct from the edits I had already gotten from Sue Ristoni and Howard Rothman and the rest of the Lucasfilm crew. And this document was edited in such a detailed fashion that even individual words had been struck off and his preferred replacements inserted, as well as some passages wholly excised and some dialogue replaced with the dialogue from the screenplay. If that's not line editing, I don't know what is. What's in that book is there because Mr. Lucas wanted it to be there. What's not in that book is not there because Mr. Lucas wanted it gone. Period. So this kind of, this quote kind of always brings up an interesting conversation about whether novelizations are, quote, canon. Um, so I think that while Lucas, this was before the Disney purchase and before the um, Legends title was thrown over all these older books, I think that we can still safely say that this is canon, even though maybe technically it's not, just because of the impact that George Lucas had on it. It does not mention Ahsoka or any elements from the Clone Wars. It does mention elements from the Clone Wars micro-series, however. Um, and the just to kind of wrap it up before we discuss our parts that we're going to talk about, we are using the paper, paperback version of the book, which has um, Darth Vader on the cover and Star Wars in orange. If you guys, I used to have the hardcover and it's at home, not in Boston with me. I miss my hardcover, <laughs> <laughs> but I got this one so that Caitlin and I could be on the same page. Literally. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't have that pun like written into our show notes just so you wouldn't forget it. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. <laughs> so in part one, we are going to be talking about novelizations and Star Wars novelizations in general and then give our opinions. In part two, we're going to be talking about the characterization of characters <laughs> within the Revenge of the Sith novelization. In part three, we're going to adopt something from the one of my favorite podcasts, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, um, and we're going to do an exercise called Lectio Divina. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? Okay, so welcome to part one. And this is our first novelization that we've ever discussed really on Sky Talkers, and it won't be the last for sure. We're already counting down the days until the last Jedi novelization and everything. So I just kind of wanted to ask you, Caitlin, and kind of get the conversation rolling is what Star Wars novelizations have you read? And um, have you even explored novelizations of films outside of Star Wars? It's going to be a short answer. No, um, <laughs> I, I read the Star Wars, like a new hope novelization, like the George's first one um, years ago. I have like this weird paper bag that I'm sure I bought with you at some mm -hmm. point. Um, but it was like, at the time I wasn't, it was like, I wasn't really sure what I was reading. I was just, I just had it because it said Star Wars on it. And I didn't know what other things to buy to have Star Wars in my life. Um, <laughs> but I read that and I haven't, I haven't read it since. So I should probably reread it. And I'm sure we've talked about this on the show before, but at one point I tried to do an audiobook of the Attack of the Clones <laughs> novelization with the intent of doing the Revenge of the Sith novelization afterwards. But I could not get into the Attack of the Clones novelization at all. And I don't know if it's because 
of the narration or the voices or just the fact that I was usually stuck in agonizing traffic while listening to it. I don't know what it was, but I just could not deal. (laughs) And I think I stopped about halfway through, I think, and I'm pretty sure I got a a big late fee on that audiobook because I got it from the library and I just never returned it. It was just like all bad things. (laughs) (laughs) But now I've read Revenge of the Sith novelization. Yay. Um, So have you read The Force Awakens at all? Um, I've read parts of The Force Awakens. Um, I don't have it, but I've like Tumblr and Twitter and stuff like that. I feel like I've read most of it. Yeah. (laughs) I know that feeling. (laughs) But you, um, you're, like, really into the novelizations. Yeah, it's like I get really excited when a Star Wars movie comes out. and Or I just – I'm a, I'm a reader. I love reading things that will enrich my experience. And that's kind of what drew, drew me to the Revenge of the Sith novelization anyway. I, like, did not go anywhere without this novelization after the movie came out. And I, I, I didn't – I don't think I realized how lucky – I we were to have this like amazing narrative example of a novelization um back then but I would read it all the time and um but you know I wasn't a huge fan of the Force Awakens novelization but I did really love the Rogue One novelization um and I think probably in terms of Star Wars novelizations I think Revenge of the Sith and the Rogue One novelizations are definitely the best Mhm um, because they do something a little bit different um, than just kind of rehashing the script, you know, and they add to your experience, which I think is what a novelization should do. Yeah, I agree. And and I forgot about the Rogue One one. I have read part. I have that one. I've read parts of it. And I think that's the weird thing with me for novelizations is I get impatient with them almost because I know how things are going to end. Mm-hmm. And especially with a movie that I've already seen, it's like I know with the Rogue One novelization, I would just skip through the parts of the of the movie that I know I didn't like as I was reading them in the book or like didn't yeah. enjoy as much as my favorite parts of the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wanted to see those represented in text form. And so I would skip ahead a lot to those moments. And I found myself doing that with Revenge of the Sith too. Um, like, <laughs> as you guys know, the like the Yoda part with, with Palpatine at the end, I don't really care for that part of the movie. And I found myself like really skimming through those passages in the book <laughs> so that I could get back to Obi-Wan and Anakin, just like I do when I watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's funny because I find that while a good significant portion of this book, as well as the movie is in the beginning uh, on the invisible hand, um, the battle at the end is pretty short. Mm-hmm. I was really surprised. Yeah, it was like all of a sudden it's like two pages. And I mean, I think that's good. You know, Um, as I mentioned, this book did come out before the movie was out. So it's kind of interesting that Star Wars decided to do that. And I I can't speak from that experience because I got the novelization after I saw the movie. Um, But I can imagine that they wanted to leave that part of the visuals up to your imagination a bit. Mm hmm. You know, um, and not drag that on too much. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. It's it was it was cool because I always I love the opening uh, forty five minutes of Revenge of the Sith on the Invisible Hand, but for me, it dragged a lot in the book. Like for me to finish, like it took me a long time to get through that part of the book. But then once I did, it was like 
everything just fell into place so quickly and it was just like one thing right after the uh, right after the other and i feel like the pace really picked up but mm-hmm. i was like wow we're like 150 pages in and we're on we're still we're still on the invisible hand i know <laughs> i felt that way too and well when i was younger and i was really I'm still into the Anakin and Padme relationship, but I was like, oh my God, she's going to take forever to get there. I know. <laughs> We're never going to see Padme. <laughs> I know, because I was like, I don't get to Padme until chapter nine. What? You're <laughs> <laughs> with Palpatine until chapter nine? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it's, it's funny because we can talk about that, but I, I do think that that was purposeful as it was in the movie to kind of establish this brotherhood between Anakin and Obi-Wan really well. And I, mm-hmm. that sort of establishment is only possible through the beginning, I think. Um, and in order to understand what happens at the end and into Obi-Wan's whole place in this, I think that we actually needed that huge chunk in the beginning to kind of also reinforce Anakin and Obi-Wan's like importance in the galaxy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like reverence, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love the part um, it's in the very opening, I think, when it's just Obi-Wan it, – it's, like, describing Obi-Wan's connection to the Force and how mm-hmm. that works. And I was like, this is so cool and how it's just, like, a part of him and an extension of him. And I really enjoyed that. And then it was, like, it extended to Anakin, too, and they were connected. And it, it just – that part worked really well for me. And I was like, yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> okay. So what makes a good novelization, in your opinion? I think – I mean, I think something like Revenge of the Sith novelization that just gives you a lot more depth into what's going on uh, with these characters and in their heads because sometimes you don't get that in the film. There's not the time to. And it's like with the – it's weird because the the two that I've enjoyed the most and have read more of have been Revenge of the Sith and Rogue One. And both of them are tinged with this like really – intense melancholy and sadness Mm -hmm. uh, just because you know how things are going to end and both of these films and books end quite tragically and so you can it's like everywhere is just this this for foreshadowing over everything that's said between characters and and i don't know it just it provokes a lot more emotion in me when i'm reading them i totally agree i think that for me i i take your answer and kind of add to it. A good novelization to me has to have a fair amount of deleted scenes that kind of enhance the characters um, and kind of that aren't added just because they're like extra scenes. But Mm -hmm. um, I do want to, when I'm reading a novelization from a movie, I I definitely want something different from the movie. You know, I think that's what I'm getting at is like you were only – when you were reading the Rogue One novelization, you were like skipping ahead to your favorite parts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like I want to be hooked because I'm getting something new out of it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I also think that kind of switching lines around a little bit. um, So it's not just a copy from the script is really important to me in a novelization. The Force Awakens novelization is kind of a, not really that inspired and I think it does a lot of that copying from the script um because of that you know yeah that's interesting you say that because not interesting but with bonus features your favorites are always deleted scenes that's like your favorite part of bonus features whereas for me they're not my I mean I love them but they're not my favorite so it's funny that you say that for novelizations you want the deleted scenes included in there 
I think it's just because I'm so attached to characters that I want to see more of them living in this world and in that time period. And Mm -hmm. um, I want to see different decisions and different points in their life that influence their further decisions down the road and choices they make. Um, I think I I like it more in the book. At least I did in Revenge of the Sith than I do necessarily on screen because it's like, oh, it's just this, what if I could have had that in the movie where it's almost easier to accept that it wasn't in the movie when I'm just reading it in a book. Totally. Okay. So here's the final conversation (laughs) in part one. What did you think of the novelization? I liked it. I was... I was very overwhelmed at my Obi-Wan emotions. <laughs> I think that was my my big takeaway. And I think, too, it's it's weird. Re- this book kind of reminds me of my experience with Star Wars as a whole um, because I came into Star Wars kind of already knowing how everything would end um, and not really having any surprises and, like, having the full picture. It's weird coming into Revenge of the this- the Sith book for the first time, having things like Ahsoka and like the sequel trilogy and all of that kind of influencing my read of this book, knowing that they're not included in the book. It it was, I don't know, it was kind of weird. It kind of messed with my head a little bit. And I found myself a lot throughout this being like, oh man, like this would just be that much better if you had the, like Anakin's whole internal conflict would have been that much better if he had had this guilt of Ahsoka on him too. You know what I mean? And like, I would have loved to have seen Matthew Stover write that because I'm just, I'm I'm obsessed with what he's writing now. And it would have been, it would have just added so much more to it too. So it's weird kind of coming in with that, like not having read it in the, when it came out. And so it's like, you have the experience of loving this book without the knowledge of Ahsoka, for example. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't. So it's it's kind of strange. And I don't mean that to sound like I don't enjoy the book because I, I really did. Um, but it's like, oh, I want her in it. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally get that because I – I mean, I kind of had a similar experience and I'm sure you have too when we tried to read like the Thrawn trilogy. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. It's like that. We were just a little confused about certain – because the characters we all know and love are there, but they're different and they're not changed by the events that we n- know them to be changed by in canon. So it's it's bizarre when you read such like an introspective version of Anakin and there's no mention of mention of Ahsoka in this day mm-hmm. and age. Like that doesn't happen anymore, obviously. So yeah. I, I I completely get that, and I feel the same way too. Like I I really wish that that was included, mm-hmm. um, but I wouldn't like. Have them rewrite the novelization with a different author because of that, though. Yeah, no, 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 same. And it, it's strange because I don't feel that way about the movie, mm-hmm. but with as much what you said, with as much um, introspective thoughts that Anakin has in the book, it's like oh, I just just name drop Ahsoka. <laughs> I know it's really just like if there was only one mention of like him having a pad on because there's so much conversation in the novel also about what it means for Obi-Wan to have a Padawan um, and his relationship to Anakin because he was his Padawan Mm -hmm. that it's like, Oh God, if only Anakin had that weighing on his shoulders as well. Yeah. And they, and they talk to a lot like Sidious Palpatine brings it up too, like this idea of leaving the Jedi order and like what it means to be a Jedi and, and how even Obi-Wan talks about it too, about how it's not, you know, the Jedi aren't the only people that use the force and it's Mm -hmm. not the only way to use the force is through the Jedi. And it's like, you could have seen that 
really segued into this really cool reflection on what happened to Ahsoka at the end of the Clone Wars. (sighs) (laughs) Opportunity lost. Yeah, it's just I I want I mean like can Matthew Stover go back and write like a little excerpt like can he write his own deleted scene for the book like an interlude <laughs> they, yeah. yeah yeah like an interlude where they talk about Ahsoka uh, um, that, that would be so good thing. yeah yeah it just it would have seeped into everything like mm-hmm. Padme and Anakin talking about their kid and and Obi-Wan and Anakin and then Anakin and Ahsoka and Palpatine using that against Anakin too I mean which that's a that's one of the great things about Ahsoka's character is that you can kind of see where she would have represented all of those things to all of those characters and in, in the Revenge of the Sith time period um mm-hmm. she just came afterwards <laughs> oh man so how do you understand now like why people hold this to such high regard yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that you've read it because there's so there's I feel like for a really long time and I, we've talked about this on the show before too. Like the the reason why I love Anakin's character, Padme's character, Obi-Wan's character is because of this novelization. It's not necessarily the movies. Like I love I love the movies, but I really understand these characters because of this novelization and it's really informed my fandom so much, you mm-hmm. know? And I feel like you had a realization about, like, who these characters were a little bit later than I did. And I have to really credit it all to this novelization, you know? You know. Right again. Yeah, come back to Star Wars. He said he's not coming back to Star Wars. And Lucasfilm and him has parted ways, which is just so sad. What does that mean? Yeah. But it was – that was, like, 2013. So it's – Ugh, is it possible? Maybe it's possible. We need it. I know. We really do. It would just, it would be great. Uh, ugh. Okay. Should we move on to talking about the characters? Let's. Which is at the heart of this whole novelization. Let's. All right. Welcome to part two characterization. You know it. You love it. We love it too. Our favorite part. <laughs> and uh, in a very fitting <laughs> way charlotte has chosen that padme will be our first character <laughs> to discuss. <laughs> so i'll let you start with where you would like to first talk about padme okay so it's funny because usually people talk about padme at her introduction which i think is a great introduction um she's not necessarily defined in i think it's what is it let me let me find it it is page 170 um where matthew stover does his this is padme amadala Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's a beautiful passage because she's not defined by her impending motherhood at all. She talks about what Anakin means to her and everything. Um, but I really wanted to talk about chapter 20, um, which is on page 410. And the chapter is called Chiaroscuro. Um, wow. Which- <laughs> Look at you, Italian. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like. Yeah, I, I, the, you know what that means, right? Mm-hmm. I, f- I find this this chapter title so fascinating. Yeah. Um, and for readers who are readers, listeners who <laughs> aren't familiar with that term, it's an art term that refers to the treatment of contrasted light and shadows created by um, light falling unevenly. 
Um, I just think it's such a good chapter title. I mean, we get mm-hmm. really basic chapter titles in this entire book, like The Face of the Sith. <laughs> Order <Pat> 66. <laughs> Anakin. But then we get this one at the very end of the book. And this whole scene is when Obi-Wan comes to Padme's apartment, which you guys know is one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars, um, to reveal to Padme that Anakin has turned to the dark side. So I find this whole passage really interesting because in this moment, Padme kind of breaks down in front of Obi-Wan. And at this moment, they're just friends and uh, bonding over someone that they both love. Um, She says, he could never, he could never, not my Anakin. And uh, the fact that she says my Anakin in front of Obi-Wan is really interesting. Um, But I think that she takes the whole situation into you know, her own hands. And um, after Obi-Wan leaves, I find this scene so heartbreaking. And it's, I almost wish this was in the movie, but when Obi-Wan leaves and she's like lying on the couch because she's overwhelmed, um, she asks 3PO what this Japur snippet around her neck is. And 3PO responds, it's a snippet of Japur. Younglings on tattooing carved tribal runes into them to make amulets. They're supposed to they're supposed, supposed by superstitious folk to bring good fortune and protect one from harm, and sometimes they are thought to be love charms. I must say, my lady, I'm quite surprised you've forgotten, seeing as how you've worn that one ever since it was given to you so many years ago by Master Anakin. I hadn't forgotten what it was, 3PO, she says distantly. Thank you. I was reminding myself of the boy who gave it to me. Uh, I just love this because I, I, I just really wish that this was in the in the movie because I think that it gives Padme just a little bit of that extra um, thoughtfulness and uh, adoration towards Anakin and like understanding his motives and what she's about to do, which is go to him and maybe or maybe not kill him. Right. Um, so yeah. what were you? What were you going to say, Caitlin? I think, too, it's like her – like, she's still in this state of disbelief, too. Mm-hmm. I think it's like – I think it's all of these things at once because she says to Obi-Wan, you know, that that can't be true, not – like, not my right. Anakin. And mm-hmm. then she's – you can just, like, see her holding the Japur snippet and, you know, almost, like, asking for confirmation from 3PO, like – who gave this to me? And 3PO's like, young Mr. Master Annie gave it to you. And she's like, <laughs> yes, Master Anakin, my husband, that little boy on Tatooine who was so full of hope and light. Like, he's still there. I know it. And I'm going to go mm-hmm. prove it. Um, yep. But I think there's also, like, that seed of doubt in her head, too. Like, Obi-Wan told me terrible things. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. What's going on? But I, I think – Weirdly enough, the Obi-Wan was the standout for me in this book for some reason. I was just like, I'm always struck again and again by the tragedy of Obi-Wan's story and how we just need to talk about how tragic it is more. Yeah. Um, but I really loved his moments with Padme in the apartment. I think it's three times that they have these little scenes in the apartment together. And mm-hmm. the thing about this this book is it's just like it's pulling everyone apart and especially seeing Anakin and Obi-Wan alone. But a little bit earlier uh, in the book on page 253, when he's kind of confronting her for the first time about like how he's worried about Anakin and is kind of saying he knows what's going on, but not really Mm -hmm. saying it because he can't say it. And he goes to leave and she says, Padme goes, for a moment she said nothing, but as his footsteps receded, she said, Obi-Wan, she heard him stop. 
You love him too, don't you? When he didn't answer, she turned to look. He stood motionless, frowning in the middle of the expanse of buff carpeting. You do. You love him. He lowered his head. He looked very alone. Please do what you can to help him, he said, and left. And it's just like, you just feel the weight of the emotion that both Obi-Wan and Padme have for Anakin. And Mm -hmm. it's just all that more heartbreaking because like Obi-Wan is essentially doing the same thing when he comes to Padme in chapter 20. You know, what, like, I don't know, like, how can we help him? Um, And at this point, he's like so lost Mm -hmm. because he doesn't, he knows what he has to do. Um, And it's, it's, it's crazy because these little scenes, which we know were filmed, but never made it anywhere, um, which drives me crazy. (laughs) Um, But you know, I think in the archives, yeah, they totally are. So that's why Caitlin needs to work at the archives so that we can just watch those scenes. Just send you, can you imagine? I would just sit there sending you Snapchats all day of like the dailies from Revenge of the Sith. It would be so good. Oh my God. Anyway, um, I always think about how this book really kind of drives that point that people always make about how Anakin was slightly jealous of Obi-Wan and Padme, which everyone knows who's listened to the show. Mm. I didn't really get that right away. <laughs> which, when I read this book, I was like, <laughs> what the heck? How yeah, did you... Because it's like, it's very clear. Obi-Wan visits Padme a couple times in her apartment alone, and Anakin senses that he has been around. And I mean, they even show that in the movie, too, when he's sitting on the couch looking at the data pad, and he's like, Obi-Wan's been here, hasn't he? And and from the book, we know that there's like these frequent visits by Obi-Wan to talk about Anakin's state of being, um, which in itself is just kind of shady. And I totally get like why Anakin would be a little bit... um, stressed about that. Palpatine no? even says it to Anakin. He's like, I know. She, she's been seeing Obi-Wan <laughs> at an unseemly hour. And Anakin's like, no, she's not. Palpatine's <laughs> like, yeah, she is. <laughs> you still didn't pick up on it. I just... I, I was young. <laughs> I even, like, I gotta find it. I highlighted it. I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> But back to, like, the doubt that is placed in Anakin's mind. Like, this is just another addition to that, right? But Mm -hmm. with Padme's character, you get all the Seeds of the Rebellion um, deleted scenes in this book, which are even highlighted a little bit more onto how that is, like, a huge betrayal of Anakin and Palpatine at this point and how... Padme never really wants to keep what she's thinking about with like starting the rebellion with Baylor, Bail Organa, et cetera, um, from Anakin, but she has to. And it's on page 221. So basically in this scene, Mon Mothma says, she's basically talking about how um, you're not allowed to tell any of your family members and, or anything that this sort of delegation is being proposed. Um, and she goes, even your families to share anything of this will expose them to the danger we all face. No one can be told. No one. Padme watched them all nod. What could she do? What could she say? You can keep your own secrets, but then I'll have to tell my Jedi husband, who's Palpatine's beloved prodigy. She sighed. Yes. Yes. Agreed. 
And all, all she could think as the little group dispersed to their own offices was, oh, Anakin, Anakin, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's so, it's, it's just so, it's just so interesting to me that like, I, I love that those deleted scenes because I really do give Padme like a job and um, her agency is really brought back into the story, but it also completely kind of adds to Anakin's like being in the dark about so many things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. And then the, a couple of chapters later on page 259, it just really brings that home. And I love how Stover writes the like realization in Padme's head that there's something like that she has to keep this from Anakin. It's mm-hmm. when she's talking to the the group again, the basically seats of the rebellion. And she says, one Jedi then Padme offered to the others because she wants to tell the the plan to to one Jedi. And you're like, oh, she's talking about Anakin. And then she goes, there is one Jedi, one whom I truly know all of us can trust absolutely. Her voice trailed off into appalled silence when she realized that she wasn't talking about Anakin. And (laughs) (laughs) this had been been all about him when she'd started, all about her love, her need to be open with him, the pain that keeping this secret stabbed her heart at each and every beat. But when the thought had turned to trust, when it became a question of someone she knew, truly and absolutely knew she could trust – she discovered that she was talking about Obi-Wan. Anakin, something was breaking inside her. Oh, my love, what are they doing to us? And it's just, like you said, I think it gives it gives so much more agency to Padme. Like, she's not just doing, like, even she herself comes to realize that she's not just doing this for Anakin. She's doing this for herself and for the Republic. And, like, that's her core belief system, too. But she's also in love with Anakin, and mm-hmm. that it's this tension in her, um, just like it's this tension for Obi-Wan for his attachment to Anakin when he knows he shouldn't. And Anakin's, you know, everything that's going on with Anakin, too. Anakin is just like a ball of tension about everything. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> don't say. But I just, I love that moment because I read it, too. I was like, oh, she's talking about Anakin. And he's like, wait. She's not. And she's able to, like, she's the only person who's, like, really able to separate her her heart from her head really in that moment Mm -hmm. yeah she's the best so (laughs) (laughs) the the thing is is that there's this book i think you mentioned this before but there's such a systematic breakdown of trust and um i think just basically certain elements are continuously breaking down in in throughout this book like Anakin is faced with so many different choices that make him go from self selfless to selfish. And, um, but you don't just see that with Anakin. You see that with, you see all these different choices that characters have to make. I mean, yeah, the characters have to make. And Padme is a really core example of that about how her, who she trusts really uh, changes in the middle of this book. Um, Or she comes to realize that, she doesn't necessarily trust her husband. What a bad place to be in. <laughs> yes. This, this book is so tragic. It's it's so <laughs> tragic. It's that's that's the like it's weird to like take yourself. We talked about this a little bit earlier too, but it just keeps striking me when we're talking about this and when I was reading the book, but coming into Revenge of the Sith, to, into the prequels in general, knowing how the story ends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's a crazy experience that 
like there aren't any other movie franchises that are like that <laughs> where you come in knowing how things are going to end way ahead of time, years ahead of time, almost a whole <laughs> decade ahead of time. You know how this story is going to end and it just and you feel I feel like you feel that even more so with the book that everything that's said is just Oh, so sad. It's like, you know, when you watch Revenge of the Sith and you have that moment with Anakin and Obi-Wan, their last moment together, and it's like, oh, this is their last moment together. And you're it's so sad because they're so happy. But in the book, Anakin says, he's like, I need to tell Obi-Wan this because I don't think I'm going to get another chance. And you're like, you're not going to get another chance. Oh, my God. <laughs> you I won't know. get that. It's just you get to add so much more sadness into the book. <laughs> So this book has like a lovely introduction, um, mm-hmm. and I just kind of on on that note, I kind of want to read like the last few lines of that. Um, so basically, it's narrating the beginning, opening crawl, right? A pair of starfighters, Jedi starfighters, only two. Two is enough. Two is enough because the adults are wrong and their younglings are right. Though this is the end of the age of heroes, it has saved the best for last. And it's like we don't get stories really that are like you just said like that we know the ending and because of that this book kind of plays with that the, knowledge the idea of, yeah that yeah. knowledge and that okay. idea of fate and um what is inevitable we should probably talk about obi-wan because i know you're like desperate to talk about obi-wan <sighs> so, <laughs> so i lived for the obi-wan moments in this freaking book (laughs) i just like it's funny because when we when we talk about revenge of the sith a lot we talk a lot about how padme is right about everything and she Mm -hmm. is and she is in the novel too but i feel like the novel picks up so much more of how in tune obi-wan is with anakin and how obi-wan is right about anakin a hundred percent of the time Mm -hmm. and just i think i think it it could be an argument to say that I think it is a good argument that even Pat, like if Pat, if he had been with Padme during this time, if Anakin had been, um, it wouldn't have mattered. But if Obi Wan had been there in those crucial moments, the story would have ended differently. Um, oh yeah, totally. The fact that he was taken to Utapau um, was very strategic. And- yeah, it was like, oh, let me find yeah. it because it's so good. I'm just kind of fascinated by the whole idea that Obi-Wan never really thinks that he's enough and he's like always trying to find his purpose. Mm-hmm. And he his purpose in The Phantom Menace perhaps was to inherit Qui-Gon's newest Padawan, right, Anakin. Yeah. And then it's like throughout that he always thinks like am I doing enough? This boy is like reckless. Do I deserve this? And even on page 17 in his introduction, well, he says the introduction for Obi-Wan goes, Jedi Master, General in the Grand Army of the Republic, member of the Jedi Council. And yet inside, he feels like he's none of these things. Inside, he feels like he's a Padawan. And I just think it's it's just so interesting to me that he really is continuously trying to find his purpose. And even at the end, when he takes Luke to Tatooine, I mean, we all know this because we've seen this movie 100 times. It's like he believes in his purpose and it is his purpose to watch over this boy um, and defend him. And he, throughout the, throughout Rebels and everything, we see this. Um, he just, I feel like he just never feels like he's doing enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and it's he, tragic. Even at the end of that part, he says, he's the ultimate Jedi, 
but it ends with he is proud to be Anakin Skywalker's best friend. And you're just like, hmm. oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but the part – okay, so the part with Grievous at, at the end, um, that chapter is called A Jedi Trap, I think. And it it, ta- it goes through this whole long thing about how the trap is, is so perfectly set, um, but Obi-Wan figures it out and is, like, on top of things. And, mm-hmm. you know, he eventually kills Grievous. But at the end, it goes – as has been said, the textbook example of a Jedi trap is the one that was set on Utapau for Obi-Wan Kenobi. It worked perfectly. And then a little further down. That is to say, a Jedi trap works best when one's true goal is merely to make sure that the Jedi in question spends some hours or days off somewhere on the far side of the galaxy so that he won't be around to interfere with one's real plans. So that by the time he can return, it will be already it will already be too late. And you're like, God damn it. Um, because it's just like it's just this bigger reminder that everyone is a pawn. Yeah. It's, no it's one, one big game of chess. It's one and it it's just Palpatine is this huge AF puppet master, and no one has had any kind of no one has had any kind of agency in this in this whole thing, like the past mm-hmm. however many years, 30 years, um, everyone has been, everything has been going according to plan and all these people have been going according to plan. Um, and they fell for the trap that was laid for them. They just didn't realize it was a trap. Which is just even sadder to consider Obi-Wan's place in this because, like I said, he is continuously questioning what his role in everything is. And it's like, it just doesn't matter because at this point, you're just a pawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so kind of going back to how Obi-Wan is kind of always right about what's going on in this book. And like, if he had been there, things would have gone very differently. Um, can I just say, too, that I really hate Mace Windu. <laughs> 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 this book. OK, I will say, though, that this book actually when it describes Mace's relationship to the force, I was like, this is really interesting and I'm really into this how he how Mace like sees the connections between people and sees their shatter points I was like mm-hmm. this is really cool I'm really into this but I also still really hate you as a character <laughs> wait Just- I, I, it's funny that you said shatter point because I feel like I haven't read it but I feel like Matthew Stover's other book is called shatter point it is it is it is <laughs> and it's about, it, it's about Mace <laughs> Why is that so funny to me? Okay, continue. <laughs> I don't Sorry. know. I don't know. <laughs> um, but Obi-Wan is talking to Mace and Yoda about uh, how they probably shouldn't have assigned Anakin the the job of spying on the Chancellor because it just like it goes against everything Anakin is. And they're like, well, Anakin's not really a great Jedi and, and like all that stuff anyway. And – Obi-Wan is telling – he's like, no, you don't get it. You don't understand Anakin. And, like, that's why you're going to fail. And it is why they fail because they don't understand Anakin, but Obi-Wan does. Obi-Wan says, I think – Obi-Wan said carefully – that abstractions like peace don't mean much to him, Anakin. He's loyal to people, not to principles. And he expects loyalty in return. He will stop at nothing to save me, for example, because he thinks I would do the same for him. Mason Yoda gazed at him steadily and Obi-Wan had to lower his head. Because, he admitted reluctantly, he knows I would do the same for him. Understand exactly where your concern lies, I do not. Yoda's green eyes had gone softly sympathetic. Named must your fear be, before banish it you can. Do you fear that perform his task he cannot? 
Oh, no, that's not it at all. I'm firmly convinced that Anakin can do anything except betray a friend. What we've done to him today. But that is what the Jedi are, Mace Windu said. Interrupting, I might add. This is, that, this is what we have pledged ourselves to, selfless service. Obi-Wan turned to stare once more toward the assault ship that would carry Yoda and the clone battalions to Kashyyyk, but he could only see Anakin's face. If he asked me to spy on you, do you think I would do it? That's Anakin talking to Obi-Wan from earlier. Yes, Obi-Wan said slowly. That's why I don't think he'll ever trust us again. He found his eyes turning unaccountably hot and his vision swam with unshed tears, and I'm not entirely sure that he should. And it's like Obi-Wan gets it. It's like Obi-Wan sees all the – he knows that like this impending doom is coming, but mm-hmm. he can't make himself betray the council to do anything about it. It just makes me think a lot about Ahsoka too. Yeah. That's, ex- that's a really the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is Palpatine even says it later to Anakin too. He's like, I know you won't betray me. Like remember and, – and Palpatine is constantly bringing up these things throughout the book like – Remember when you were a boy and I did this with you? Remember when you were young and we like chatted in my office that on long night? Like he's always reminding <laughs> Anakin that they're buddies and that Anakin doesn't betray buddies. <laughs> oh my God. And it's what Obi-Wan does too. But ultimately, Obi-Wan loves Anakin where Palpatine does not. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another passage to describe Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship. Um, so this is on page 428. Blade to blade, they were identical. After thousands of hours in lightsaber sparring, they knew each other better than brothers, more intimately than lovers. They were complementary halves of a single warrior. Sadness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, where does my mind immediately go when I read that? I'm just going to mention it. This is the only time I'm going to mention it. Where does it go? (laughs) You know, complementary halves. Of a whole. Of a whole. (laughs) One protagonist. That's it. You know, Ray and Kylo. But it's okay. I just think it's so interesting how they describe them, him more intimately than lovers. And it's just like it kind of, it really just kind of underscores how important their bond is and how devastating what actually happens to their bond Mm -hmm. um, is. Could definitely kind of change those uh, pronouns and replace them with Ray and Kylo. But I won't. (laughs) (laughs) i won't i'll let you do that later (laughs) on your own time but and then to like and then like two pages later you have this passage too which is just amazing this was not sith against jedi this was not light against dark or good against evil it had nothing to do with duty or philosophy religion or morals it was anakin against obi-wan personally just the two of them and the damage they had done to each other it's like, oh, like uh, it, it all comes down to that to them, um, which also you could replace with other pronouns and you would get like a very similar story. But <laughs> we're not yeah. going to talk about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's, it's just it's so fascinating, their relationship, though, and how um, this book really kind of does so much to underscore how much they mean to each other and how um, their friendship is familial mm-hmm. and how everything that leads to that moment where Obi-Wan is shouting to Anakin, you are my brother, I loved you. Um, and I don't have the quote in front of me, but there's something that he goes, he goes like, he he loved him and he wasn't going to kill him or something like that. Um, yeah, it's, Obi-Wan's relationship to the Force is so interesting in this book because you see, you see Obi-Wan like really grappling with 
what like it's almost like before this moment with Anakin on Mustafar, he's starting to realize that the Jedi probably weren't the aren't the like weren't what was right for Anakin. Um but it like that thought process doesn't really line up with what we see in a new hope where it kind of feels like he's still holding on to these old uh platitudes from the Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. and just like right after the passage I just read, it, it starts talking about how Obi-Wan still loves Anakin, even though he's done all of these things. But he hears Yoda's voice in, it, in his head. And Yoda says, allow such attachments to pass out of one's life a Jedi must. But Obi-Wan had never let himself understand. He had argued for Anakin, made excuses, covered for him again and again and again. All while this attachment, he denied even... F- All the while, this attachment he denied even feeling had blinded him to the dark path his best friend walked. Obi-Wan knew there was, in the end, only one answer for attachment. He let go. Uh, I hate this because, in my mind, Obi-Wan is totally wrong there. Yeah, Um, and that's that's the thing. He is, but he's, like, so overwhelmed with grief. It's, yeah, it's like all he knows how to do is to yeah. He's back. he's totally blaming himself. Yeah, and to lean back into his training and and two in this book too. I find myself also very annoyed with Yoda too because <laughs> Obi Wan. It translates. <laughs> it's so funny how that works out um, <laughs> because there's a part. I think it's like right when. Um, Hold on, let me find it. It's like right before Obi Wan is about to watch the what happened on the the playback um, thing in the temple, and he like Obi Wan wants this moment to grieve or to to do something, and Yoda is like, "No, don't have those emotions. We need to keep moving." And it's like that's not what Obi Wan should have done. Obi Wan should have taken a second and probably would have been able to figure out how to reach Anakin because he knows Anakin better than anyone else. But Yoda mm-hmm. was like, keep moving. Don't let this, like, don't let this grief bury you when maybe he should have for a moment. And it just speaks to you about how the Jedi try to forego emotion and attachment whenever they can. And that is ultimately what ended up being their downfall. Yeah. And kind of just didn't understand what it means to be a compassionate person, mm-hmm. um, especially in that moment. It's yeah. like, Okay. Um, I mean, we all know that Anakin does come back from the dark side. So we have all these certain moments where it's like, okay, well, if Obi-Wan had maybe kind of paused, if Padme had, I mean, no blame on Padme, but um, (laughs) never. it's like Obi-Wan really did rush into this whole situation where he jumped aboard her ship. He interrupted this conversation between a married couple, Um, you, you know, and kind of fueled a situation i i don't it's weird because it's it's odd talking about this right now because i can hear myself putting blame on certain people that don't deserve the blame Mm -hmm. but it's interesting how you can kind of like think your way through all these different things of like what if obi-wan had paused what if like certain conversations had happened what if things had been able to develop um you know what i mean yeah yeah it just it it you it's like through his training, he's just allowing himself to be burdened with this guilt for the rest of his time. Um, and I found the passage with with Yoda, and it's when Obi-Wan figures out that all of the the younglings have been killed. And Obi-Wan starts like almost having this like panic attack about what happened. And he was all the dreams, all the promises, all the children. 
We took them from their homes. Obi-Wan fought to stay in his chair. The pain inside him demanded motion. It became wave after wave of tremors. We promised their families, control yourself, you must. Still, Jedi, you are. And that's Yoda. And it's like Yoda is refusing to let him like crumble for a second. And then Mm -hmm. later on, Obi-Wan... it says, slowly, very slowly, Obi-Wan Kenobi remembered what, what it was to be a Jedi. He leaned back in his chair, covered his face with both hands, inhaling a thin stream of air between his palms. Into himself, with the air, he brought pain and guilt and remorse. And as he exhaled, they trailed away and vanished in the air. He breathed out his whole life. And you're like, no. No. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Um, don't breathe out your whole life. Don't, don't breathe out your whole life. But that's the thing. It's like he doesn't really breathe it out because he's going to hold on to these moments that are happening at the end of the book for the next 20 years and think about like, think about it every time he – every day, basically. Yeah, every single day. Yeah, every single day. Yeah. Does this um, Obi-Wan characterization just make you want – a Kenobi movie more. It makes me want a Kenobi novelization by Matthew Stover real bad. <laughs> and it makes me want to go watch Twin Sons in Rebels really bad. I know. I really need to go rewatch that. That's I'm going to. But yeah, yeah. I, I do. It's just that movie would be so sad. Hmm. Okay, so let's talk about Anakin. Um, we've talked a lot about Anakin bef- already, so we, maybe we won't dwell on this um, because Anakin's whole relationship to the other characters in this book are, is maybe the most important thing about this character. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do we think about the whole dragon being personified um, as the dark side in this novelization? I liked it. Um, I liked how it was this, the, I mean, like you said, this personification and that even when Anakin, comma, Vader, thought he killed the dragon. The dragon was actually Vader and hadn't actually died. Um, I thought that was really interesting, too. Anakin was like, I finally overcame this, like, fear inside of me. But it just turned out that that ended up being what would rule his life until his death with Luke. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I, I think that it's such a masterful addition um, and just, like, a really good metaphor to describe the dark side and your demons and being haunted by these fears of loss and um, even selfishness. Um, I, I, it's maybe my favorite part about this book is how it makes you kind of understand what the dark side is and kind of puts it in it by personifying a dragon. Ironically, it kind of um, makes things a little bit more real um, mm-hmm. and helps you kind of understand what it means to turn to the dark side in a galaxy far, far away, but also kind of understand what those certain things that, you know, are dragons in our own life um, are, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What I, what I also really liked, I, it was weird because in this, this book, Anakin, you see him, I really liked how you can see him unraveling a lot more through this inner monologue that he has going a lot of the time. Like when he was talking to Padme, one of their conversations about the the Senate um, and, you know, about ending the war, I think it was. And Padme like makes this realization that like, what are, what are we doing? Like, what are we even fighting for? It's all so pointless. And he's like, what do you mean pointless? Like you're telling me that what I've been doing for the past yeah. y- like years is pointless. My friend's deaths are pointless. And you can see him like working himself up um, for and like not really seeing the logic of what she's saying and realizing that 
yeah, it has all been pointless. That's been the point. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just so interesting because immediately he thinks about himself in that mm-hmm. part. He's like, "What? Everything that I have done is pointless? Are you kidding me? That's not yeah. true." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. And I think that's just so telling. And that's pretty much in the beginning of this book, um, too. And those sort of like little instances where you see Anakin putting himself over the, you know, his wife's point or Obi-Wan or anything um, really contribute to the ending. Yeah. He even at the end of one of the chapters, I think it's after the the Plagueis the Wise bit uh, with Palpatine. And he says, uh he had much he needed the force to teach him and a very short time to learn. He would start by thinking inward, thinking about himself. And you're like, that's, that's, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> just no. Which is, I mean, it's just so interesting, right? I mean, I can't, I gotta stop saying it's just so interesting. But like, what brings him out of the dark side is when he thinks about someone else in the very end at Return, in Return of the Jedi. Um, when he decides to save his son and sacrifice himself. And um, just such a, a wonderful parallel. I'm constantly overwhelmed by how beautiful the tragedy of Star Wars and especially the core six films are um, just in general. And I, I love points in books like this that really underscore these like key Shakespearean tragedy themes, you know? Yeah, it is really good. I was going to bring up this um, Mace Window point, actually, that it's like after Anakin, because this is the scene that has always bothered me in the Revenge of the Sith movie is when Anakin goes to tell Mace that Palpatine mm-hmm. is a Sith Lord. And he's like, Obi- <laughs> Mace is like, hey, what's up? Like, we just got word from, from Obi-Wan. And Anakin like <laughs> lets him finish this this whole report card of what Obi-Wan's been up to. And Anakin's like, sounds great. By the by. <laughs> Palpatine's the Sith Lord. <laughs> and Mace is like, okay, stay here. I'll be back. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. I'm like, whoa, guys, like freak out a little bit. Um, but I really, like, I think Matthew Stover really wrote this so well and made it make sense. And he goes back to how it, how Mace, like, views these shatter points and these connections between characters through the Force. Um and Mace, it goes, Mace reached into the force, opening the eye of his special gift of perception. What he found there froze his blood. The tangled web of fault lines in the force he had seen connecting Anakin to Obi-Wan and to Palpatine was no more. In their place was a single spider knot that sang with power enough to crack the planet. Anakin Skywalker no longer had shatter points. He was the shatter point. The shatter point. Everything depended on him. Everything. It just brings to the forefront the idea that George Lucas created these six films to be the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker. And this is the middle part of the story, even though this is the end of the prequel trilogy. Um, And so it makes sense that it's like this is the knot where everything, all the plot lines radiate out from. Yeah. And it's funny because the original trilogy. Yeah, and you even get to that point in the movie, too, where it's like, oh, my God, everything comes down to these, like, next 10 minutes and everything that happens here will define the next 30 years of the 25 years of the galaxy mm-hmm. right and um and you really feel that weight especially in this book yeah it's i'm i'm curious to see how ideas like this will play out once the sequel trilogy is finished because the way that 
The thing that I, I've like, I've just got to talk about Kylo for a second, guys. Okay, it wouldn't be an episode of Sky Talkers if we didn't. Um, but I mean, there are of course a lot of parallels between Anakin and Kylo Ren and Vader and Ben Solo. Like, you can't help but draw those parallels, um, and particularly how darkness is described like with the dragon as like an, an inner monologue for characters like Anakin and Ben. Um, but then even too, like the character of Palpatine, I think I mentioned earlier, like how Palpatine is like, I've been with you since you were a child, Anakin, like I'm your friend. And like, that was how Palpatine manipulated Anakin, like from the very beginning. And Snoke did the same thing to Ben, but just in a different way um, because he wasn't with Ben Solo all the time, but he like whispered into his head and you see these parallels too. Um, And then even like with Stover's little um, pieces about like the darkness before certain chapters and parts. And it talks about how the like day is actually the illusion and and how you carry darkness with you all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. Like the brightest lights cast the darkest shadows And it just got me thinking a lot about Kylo Ren, too. Like, he's equal parts evil and dark, and the brightest lights cast the darkest shadows. And right now, he's giving into his darker shadow, but he still has that light within him, just like Anakin did. Anakin just had his bright light and then gave into the darkness, whereas with Kylo, it's opposite. But they're from the same bloodline, and they it's like they have the same fault lines. We should read that quote because it's so great. It's on page 339. The dark is generous, and it is patient, and it always wins. It always wins because it is everywhere. It is in the wood that burns in your heart. It is in the kettle on the fire. It is under your chair and under your table and under your sheets on your bed. Walk in the midday sun, and the dark is with you, attached to the soles of your feet. The brightest light casts the darkest shadow. Ah, God. I mean, it is... It's it's just it's you have to draw those parallels um, between two characters like you just said and I've I feel like I've been unpacking that line th- this little interlude because it is just right after part three apocalypse um, for so long and I'm still I mean I think that it just really goes back to that that final line the brightest light casts the darkest shadow. Um, that we all carry these sort of demons within us and it's really up to us mm-hmm. to kind of figure out what we do with them. And if we let them win, if we give in to them, yeah. um, because yeah. we all have them, even the, the brightest light has the biggest demons. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just fascinating. It is. And I think too, it's like this thing that they've been building up within the Clone Wars and now Rebels and in the sequel trilogy too, that you are not defined solely by light side or dark side. You have both. Everyone has both. It's just a matter of what you're giving into. And you see that being the problem with the Jedi in this book is that they are refusing to acknowledge the dark side in them. And it ultimately Mm -hmm. clouded their judgment to the point where they were pawns and Palpatine's elaborate ruse. Um, And and I don't know. Yeah, exactly what you said. It's You have to acknowledge both of them. And for every darkness, there is light, too. Like, it has to come from somewhere. Totally. Um, I think that we should conclude our little Anakin discussion and move on to part three. But before we do, I kind of wanted to read kind of the culminating part of Anakin Skywalker before he transforms into Darth Vader. Um, So bear with me. You loved her. You will always love her. You could never will her death. Never. But you remember. 
You remember all of it. You remember the dragon that you had brought Vader forth from your heart to slay. You remember the cold venom in Vader's blood. You remember the furnace of Vader's fury and the black hatred of of seizing her throat to silence her lying mouth. And there is one blazing moment which you finally understand that there was no dragon. There was no Vader. There was only you. Only Anakin Skywalker. That it was all you. Is you. Only you. You did it. You killed her. You killed her because finally, when you could have saved her, when you could have gone away with her, when you could have been thinking about her, you were thinking about yourself. It is in this blazing moment that you finally understand the trap of the dark side, the final cruelty of the Sith. Because now yourself is all you will ever have. And you rage and scream and reach the force to crush the shadow who has destroyed you. But you are so far less now than what you were. You are more than half machine. You are like a painter gone blind, a composer gone deaf. You can remember where the power was, but the power you touch is only a memory. And so with all your world-destroying fury, it is only droids around you that implode in the equipment and the table on which you were... which you were strapped shatters, and in the end, you cannot touch the shadow. In the end, you don't even want to. In the end, the shadow is all you have left, because the shadow understands you, the shadow forgives you, the shadow gathers you unto itself. And within your furnace heart, you burn your own flame. This is how it feels to be Anakin Skywalker forever. And that's the very end of the book, so that's kind of like the spoiler, but it's... (laughs) It, like... That passage is everything about when Anakin, what what it really it was all like. It's <laughs> I, I like struggle even to find words because it's like it's so solid in that fact about all his choices. They've all come to this point, and he is so helpless because he was so selfish. Agreed. Star okay, Wars so let's tragedy. Star Wars is so tragedy. Mark <laughs> Guy Talkers Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so should we move on to part three? Yeah, let's do it. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. So welcome to part three. Um, in this section, we were kind of struggling about what we could do differently. Um, and I kind of, I'm a huge fan, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, of this Harry Potter podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. And they look at Harry Potter in the way of viewing it as a sacred text. And because of that, they go through these methodologies and ways of studying it. And one of them is Lectio Divina. And I even struggle because I don't think we're going to do it justice. And I don't think we're going to be doing it in the sacred way. So maybe we shouldn't even call it that. But basically, what I propose that we do is we follow this methodology, which is, and I will explain, the first thing we do is we get really quiet and we find a place of peace. The second thing we do is that one person chooses a chapter and line from the text, and they repeat it to the other person. Memories or thoughts or specific parts of yourself that arise up during Lectio Divina, and you tell the other person what the sentence reminds them of immediately. Um, So we allow this inner pondering, this rumination to invite into a dialogue and a conversation. Um, And we're going to do this twice each to each other. So are you ready for a passage? Oh my god, yes. Okay, so... This is on page 107. Obi-Wan Kenobi opened his eyes to find himself staring at what he strongly suspected was Anakin's butt. <laughs> it looks like Anakin's butt. Well, his pants, anyway. Though though it was thoroughly impossible for Obi-Wan to be certain, since he had never be- before had any occasion to examine Anakin's butt upside down, which it currently appeared to be, nor from this rather uncomfortable close range. <laughs> okay. So, Gilan, how does this, this passage make you feel? 
immediately? What do you think about? I feel like if I had been on Tumblr in 2005 when this came out, this like all of the Obi-Wan Anakin shippers would have just like reblogged this quote a million times <laughs> over again. Because what I appreciate most about this passage is when it says um, Obi-Wan had never had the chance to examine Anakin's butt upside down. It doesn't say he had never had a chance to examine Anakin's butt at all, but just rather oh, yeah, upside you know, he's, down. He's, he's looked. <laughs> yeah. He snuck a peek. <laughs> he knows it pretty well right side up. <laughs> Which, I mean, we we already discussed how An- Obi-Wan and Anakin knew each other more intimately than lovers. <laughs> Like, they know each other pretty well, and that includes the booty. And that includes <laughs> the booty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. That's, like, the thing that you always see rolling that I saw people always kind of bringing up when it's like, oh, my God, you haven't read Revenge of the Sith yet? They talk about Anakin's butt. And so when I finally got to this part, I was like, this is it. This is where they talk about Anakin's butt, where Obi-Wan talks about Anakin's butt. <laughs> <laughs> And it's it's funny because you think about that moment, those that whole sequence in the film, and there are these like deleted scenes which really play up the the buddy buddiness of Anakin Obi Wan's relationship. And I feel like this does too. It's like oh, they know each other really well, really really well. Um, it, it's funny. I like it. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, I also just think that it's like again in the beginning of the of this book and this novel, this movie, whatever. Um, they're really kind of setting up this camaraderie between them, and this humorous moment overall is just really funny. Um, and kind of like sets up that uh, the tone of their relationship a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. So you want me to do my first one? Yes. All right. Please turn your book to page eighty-five. Permission and Dooku. As he looks up into the eyes of Anakin Skywalker for the final time, Count Dooku knows that he has been deceived not just today, but for many, many years. That he has never been the true apprentice. That he has never been the heir to the power of the Sith. He has only been a tool. His whole life, he has existed only for this. This. To be the victim of Anakin Skywalker's first cold-blooded murder. First, but not, he knows, the last. Then the blades cross at his throat, uncross like scissors. Snip, and all of him becomes nothing at all. This is so good because this is one of those passages that I always kind of skipped when I was younger and only caring about a certain two characters. Um, but it immediately makes me think about – Kaylin and I have talked about this a little bit more about how we find Dooku very interesting in our later life. Like <laughs> we look back upon this character and think about how he's actually really pretty interesting. And this passage really makes me think about how smart Dooku was, but really just not smart enough. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I love the line, to be victim of Anakin Skywalker's first cold-blooded murder. First, but not, he knows the last. Again, it's with that awesome retrospective, the way that this is written, that we're allowed to have those kind of lines um, that are just kind of ironic and and it's a wink to the audience that yes, we know he's becoming Vader. It's uh, such a great ending. I think for this character um, that they zero in on his persona and his emotions. Yeah, I agree. I really, I really liked Count Dooku in this book. And like you said, I, I feel like I like Count Dooku a lot more. He's a, 
and again, you guys have heard us talk about the the lost twenty statues <laughs> in the <laughs> archive of the Jedi, and and how that like that in and of itself is so interesting. And Dooku is a really great character, and it's like for as smart as he is, he didn't figure it out until now, until the very last moment when it was too late. And it's just like this: this was his purpose, just like the Jedi's purpose was to fall and let Palpatine be Sith Lord. And you're like, yep. damn. <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah, yeah, literal. <laughs> All of Palpatine in this movie is just mic drop, mic drop. Yeah, seriously. Gotcha. That's like, gotcha again. <laughs> That's like his character in in whole. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh my god. Pretty much. Um, that was a good passage. Thank you for choosing that for me. I appreciate it. Thank you for choosing Anakin's butt for me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, okay, I have a, a another one for you. So please turn to page 181. Here's your passage. None of them trust me, Padme. None of them. You know what I feel when they look at me? Anakin? He turned to her and everything in him ached. He wanted to cry and he wanted to rage and he wanted to make his rage a weapon that would cut himself free forever. Fear, he said. I feel their fear and for nothing. He could show them something, though. He could show them a reason for their fear. It's good. Um, can I continue it just a little bit? Sure. Next line. And it says, he could show them what he discovered within himself in the general's quarters on invisible hands, which ties perfectly from the last passage we just read about Dooku. And mm-hmm. it this passage is so good because this idea of fear is just such a present theme uh, throughout this book. And especially for Anakin, like the fear within him of losing Padme and, and his whole unraveling. Um, but then it's like this cold anger and like pompousness too in him that's like i i am more powerful than they are and he's real he's thinking about these things before he's even turned to the dark side you know Mm -hmm. and musafar he says i'm more powerful than the jedi i'm more powerful than the chancellor i can overthrow them and you're like oh that's darth vader but he's thinking these things already uh way before any of that happens um like i can show them fear and he's talking about the jedi his friends his quote unquote. He's actually talking about Obi-Wan. Yeah. (laughs) Which is just, it's crazy and heartbreaking. And you're like, no, what are you doing? And you realize how important that moment with Dooku is. um, And what Palpatine, you see that, obviously, you know that that's the turning point in the film um, for Anakin. But to seeing it from Dooku's perspective as well, it's like, that's not the last cold-blooded murder Anakin will commit. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. everything is kicked up 10 notches after that moment. And you see that you see it being kicked up another notch here. It is. So uh, let me start over that sentence over something I find so interesting and so fascinating about um, Anakin's character is that we can look at his choices and everything and kind of we could really understand them because it's like, okay, well, he is the most powerful Jedi. He is the person that's constantly being sent on all these like super dangerous missions. He gets stuff done. He works super well with Obi-Wan. He works super well with Ahsoka. He, he, he really is like the crux of the Jedi at this point in the Clone War. And of course he would feel frustrated that the council and the Jedi and everyone who runs the Jedi don't, 
actually recognize that in him and don't recognize the importance of him. Like, I completely get that. The fact is, is that he acts upon it in a way that obviously is just like completely wrong. Um, and it, it's just, there's such a re- relatability to Anakin not being completely understood and feeling like he is being like undermined. Um, that is so fascinating. And this conversation with Padme really kind of opens that door a little bit more because you know that he's never talked about this with anyone, but maybe the chancellor perhaps, but really it's Padme who he opens up to. Mm -hmm. Um, And Padme's left to deal with like this mess of a human who is like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Who's like this like rage bubble and like (laughs) a rage bubble. Yeah. Who's going to burst a rage bubble. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's like term, a, but like a rage it, it makes bubble. it sound like super soft, but like it's yeah, not. Yeah, a rage bubble. <laughs> okay, he's um, a ball of rage. <laughs> there goes the rage bubble. <laughs> rage bubble popped. <laughs> I think I like how Mace describes it better of like a spider knot of tension. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the spider knot of tension is such a good descriptor too too, because it really brings upon like this idea of this sticky web that is um said ew i know it's gross but it like it really does that's like so strong because we know how like strong spider webs are and everything but Mm -hmm. it is breakable and pliable and um kind of within this like mess maybe that's gross but like that's really the imagery that you're supposed to get from that i can't decide (laughs) Do you want the Obi-Wan Anakin passage or the Anakin Padme one I was going to pick? Uh, you know what I, what I want. Yeah, but I really <laughs> want to talk about Obi-Wan, so I'm going to pick the Obi-Wan right. passage. Okay, great. Great. Please turn to page 261. You're going to need me on this one, Master. And he could feel an unexpected truth there, too. If he were to go along, if he could somehow bring himself to forget about Padme for a few days – if he could somehow get himself away from Palpatine and the council and his meditations and politics and everything here in Coruscant that was dragging him this way and that way and sucking him under, if he could just tag along and play the Kenobi and Skywalker game for a few days, everything might be all right. If only. (sighs) There's so many things I want to talk about here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If he could somehow bring himself to forget about Padme for a few days, um, that is like the definition of an unhealthy attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That he's the- like so obsessed with finding this answer that he like can't possibly consider leaving any of that behind. And it's not really even Padme at this point. It's Padme's like condition. It's what he can do about saving Padme. Mm-hmm. And he, and the thing is he like logically knows that in this moment of I need, like I need to get her out of my head to think clearly. Um, yeah, and that's that's fascinating. Like, it, because we look at this part in the movie, too, as, like, we, we talked about this before, as, like, the last time they see each other. Um, and it's, like, this, like, really pure moment where Obi-Wan tells him that he's proud of him and Obi-Wan and Anakin apologizes. And it's, like, it's really kind of <laughs> pure, you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, regardless, that's not the a passage. Pure so. bubble instead of a rage bubble. <laughs> yes, he's like kind of like forgetting about that rage bubble. <laughs> <laughs> but he's done just being that this friend to Obi Wan. But at the same time, he's really tormented by these thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that if he could just tag along and play the Kenobi and Skywalker game for a few days, and it's just like it the 
the idea of their their pairing and them going off to war as a game is also just like really problematic um for their psyche really because they've like they've built up this personality in the galaxy and we read about this in the book um of Kenobi and Skywalker and how people cheer for them and watch them on the hollow net and everything and um I it's clear that like Anakin is kind of bought into that and that kind of like hero worship mm-hmm. and um he has he the, to play the game of course it is the game and we know it as a larger game a larger like they're pawns in this war that really doesn't mean anything um so they are playing this game um good mm-hmm. passage good choice yeah and it's and too it's like Anakin knows that's a game he can win and mm-hmm. it, it's it's weird like how you described it too that talking about it like a game it's a war it's not a game but to Anakin it is but he also recognizes that that's not real life almost like that's separate mm-hmm. from what his real problems are and what he's wanting to do is to run away but he also knows that it's it's not a good idea for him to stay on Coruscant. It, it's weird. You kind of like get all these different interpretations and like you feel his conflict. Like he doesn't know. Yeah. He what, has nowhere to go. He has, and he nowhere, has no, he has, yeah. he has nowhere. He has no idea where his place is. He thinks it's thinking about Padme and saving Padme. He thinks that's the most selfless thing he could do, but really it's just not selfless at all. It's the opposite of selfless. It's selfish. Yeah. And um, he, it's just, it's like it, there is, there's so many different things going on and pulling Anakin in all these different directions really mm-hmm. underscored in that passage that you yeah. so kindly chose. Yeah. I think the the if only is just – it goes back to what we talked about at the top of the show about knowing how this story is going to end. It's like if only he had a better relationship with Padme, one that wasn't so obsessive and, and was a little bit healthier. If only the Jedi operated a different way. If only Obi-Wan hadn't left to go to Utapau. If only Ahsoka hadn't left. Like there are all these if onlys, but that's not how this story is. Um, this is a tragedy and all of these things have to happen how they are. Um, like they say at the beginning, not, this story has already happened. Nothing can be done to change it. Um, if only different decisions have been made, but they weren't, and these are the consequences. Yep. Okay, I have one more that I want to give you. Ooh, okay. Oh. Bonus round. <laughs> Bonus round. Okay, so turn to page 227. So all you're really asking, Anakin said slowly, is for me to help the council find Darth Sidious. Yes, Obi-Wan looked relieved, inc- incredibly relieved, as though some horrible chronic pain had suddenly inexplicably eased. Yes, that's it exactly. Locked within the furnace of his heart, Anakin whispered an, e- an echo, not quite an echo, slightly altered, just at the end. I would ask him to sit down and would ask him if he had any power he could use to save Padme. So what does that passage make you think about? It just makes you think about this obsessiveness that is growing in Anakin's heart uh, even more so. And I think it's exactly what you said earlier, where he's now he's not even obsessed with, like he's not even thinking about Padme, he's thinking about her condition and he's thinking about this inevitable outcome of her death. Um, mm-hmm. But he's not thinking about, <laughs> it's almost like Luke, what Yoda says to Luke in The Last Jedi, he's always looking to the horizon and Anakin is only seeing this image of Padme's death and therefore not seeing clearly what all is really going on in front of him and giving himself the time to like really think about it um, and how his actions are actually bringing about Padme's death, which when he first has this vision, he even says that he's like, 
Master Yoda warns about visions of the future that if you try to prevent them, a lot of the times you'll actually just make them come to fruition. Mm -hmm. But he just gets so lost in his fear that he ends up doing that anyway. And I think you see that really perfectly playing out here. Um, you totally. see like, the, the fire building in his heart of say Padme, say Padme, say Padme. Uh, so problematic, this trash boy, so Anakin. Problematic. Um, <laughs> I I think that this is another example of like Anakin and Obi-Wan thinking that they're on the same plane or mm-hmm. Obi-Wan thinking that Anakin is like understands everything and like thinking the best of Anakin and Anakin and Obi-Wan really not being on the same plane at all um, where Obi-Wan's like, oh, he's so relieved now that he got that off his chest. And Anakin, like, totally understands that it's really just a council mission, that he's really just finding out who Darth Sidious is. It doesn't really have anything to do with, like, them using Anakin. It's not like that at all, is what Obi-Wan's thinking. But Anakin's like, oh, interesting. This (laughs) might give me an opportunity. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, that sort of conversation that you get and you see at play in Anakin's head isn't present in the movie at all. Um, Mm -hmm. So it definitely adds a lot to that sort of interaction. Yeah, no, it does. Okay, do I get a bonus one now? Yeah, if you want. Okay, good. Mine's another Obi-Wan one. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Please turn to page 406. This is like this moment of Obi-Wan before he sees Anakin on Mustafar is slowly becoming some of my favorite parts of Revenge of the Sith. And this book really adds to it. Obi-Wan turned from the recall beacon to the internal security scans. He had to find out exactly what he was warning them against. Do this not, Yoda said. Leave we must, before discovered we are. I have to see it, Obi-Wan said grimly. Like I said downstairs, knowing is one thing, seeing is another. Seeing will only cause you pain. Then it is pain I have earned. I won't hide from it. He keyed a code that brought up a hollow scan of the room of a thousand fountains. I am not afraid. Yoda's eyes narrowed to green gold slits. You should be. And then just on the next page, after he's watched it, it goes, Obi-Wan's expression never flickered. He opened himself to what he was about to see. He was prepared and centered and trusting in the force. And yet, then the caped man turned to meet a cloaked figure behind him. And he was, he was, Obi-Wan staring, wished that he had the strength to rip his eyes out of his head. But even blind, he would see this forever. Even the next line, though. <laughs> <laughs> he, he would see his friend, his student, his brother, turn and kneel in front of the black-coated Lord of the Sith. Ugh. Even blind, he would see this forever. And you know you know, he does see this forever. He sees mm-hmm. this image seared in his head of everyone he knew, knew in, in the temple dying by Anakin Skywalker's blade. And his Padawan, his brother, his son, whatever sort of relationship um, really does all come down to that moment when Obi-Wan finds out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you... <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like you think about... You said that this is slowly, slowly becoming one of your favorite moments, but it really does like everything is really put into perspective for Obi-Wan at this point too, where he thinks mm-hmm. about what is my future? What is my role in this? How did I let this happen? Um, and of course we know that he's going to replay this moment for the rest of his life every time he looks over the dunes on Tatooine to see Luke Skywalker, Anakin's Mm -hmm. son, who looks just like Anakin and is just like Anakin. So it's like, it's just, it's very, very emotional. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. And and still to the moment 
it's like I, I don't know how to feel about Yoda in this moment either because Yoda knows what's happened already. He knows it's mm-hmm. Anakin and he knows that he's going to send Obi-Wan to kill Anakin knowing how Obi-Wan feels about Anakin. And you're like, why? And, and Yoda says like, don't watch it. Don't watch it. But Obi-Wan says, um, it's pain that I've earned. And again, it's like Obi-Wan blames himself for what happened. And it wasn't his fault. He was – he's probably the only per- – I mean, he's the only person who could have prevented it, but he was a pawn in the game. Um, he never stood a chance. This dumb book. <laughs> Stupid book. This dumb book. <laughs> Yoda saying you should be afraid too. Yeah. Um, when, just, where does he say that again? He says that in Empire to, uh, yeah. to Luke. Luke says, I'm not afraid. And Obi-Wan – or Yoda says, you will be. Yeah, I'm really I'm I'm struck by that. I, I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while. Mm-hmm. And well, just to give you some more to think about, if you go to the next page on 406, Obi Wan and Yoda's conversation there, or I'm sorry, 408 is really interesting mm-hmm. too, um, where Obi Wan again is like falling into this panic of like I should have let them shoot me, I should have done something more, and Yoda's like stop this. Yoda gave him a stick jab in the rib sharp enough to straighten him up. Make a Jedi fall, one cannot. Beyond even Lord Sidious, this is. Choose this, Skywalker did. Obi-Wan lowered his head. I'm afraid I might know why. And Yoda's like, that doesn't matter. It's happened, and you need to go kill Anakin. I feel like, and that's that's Yoda's misgiving. Not understanding why Anakin turned is problematic in itself. Mm-hmm. And not giving, and not listening. Obi-Wan's yeah. like, I know why this happened. And, and Yoda's like, we don't, we're not talking about that. Like, you need to go kill him. Yeah. Anyway, I love Obi-Wan. I love Obi-Wan, too. I only love Obi-Wan more with each passing day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, guys, I really liked this novelization. I'm really sad about this novelization. <laughs> but I finally read it. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Thank and I'm just you. like, I'm so happy that you've read it. And now it can be on your Star Wars shelf. I'm just adding it to mine. I bought my mic by accident. But um, uh, man, that was a great episode. And I was so happy to talk about that with you. Me too. And now, whenever we bring it up in the podcast, for the rest of our lives, it can never be said that Caitlin has not read The Revenge of the Sith novelization. <laughs> <laughs> Can can we just end? Can we like just like forego our whole ending and just end with the the closing passage of the Revenge of the Sith novelization? Sure, but first let me thank our patrons. Yeah, I mean we got to do that. Joanna, Lynn, Neil, Susanna, Megan, Amy, Kelly, Matt, Jim, Swara, BJ, Ryan, Amy, Daz, Lauren, Serene, Cherie, David, Kyle, Aaron, Derek, Connie, Delaney, Robbie, Kirsty, Brandon, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, guys. Caitlin, do you want to do the honors of reading the last passage? Yeah, I do. I, I do. <laughs> okay. All right. So for as sad as Revenge of the Sith is, as we know in the movie, it ends on the hopeful note of Luke and Leia being placed with their, their families. And as this great Matthew Stover book does, it gives us a little bit of darkness and a little bit of light. The dark is generous, and it is patient, and it always wins. But in the heart of its strength lies weakness. One lone candle is enough to hold it back. Love is more than a candle. Love can ignite the stars.